I can be books, I can be films, I can be fiction or non, I can be good, I can be bad, I can be anything you want. I can be books, I can be films, I can be fiction or non, I can be good, I can be bad, I can be anything you want. I can be books, I can be films, I can be fiction or non, I can be good, I can be bad, I can be anything you want. I can be books, I can be films, I can be fiction or non, I can be good, I can be bad, I can be anything you want. I can be books, I can be films, I can be fiction or non, I can be good, I can be bad, I can be anything you want. book is better podcast. We are a family of four reviewing book to film adaptations. And on another festive episode today, we're going to be covering a Christmas Carol, the classic by Charles Dickens that I believe I can safely say has been adapted into various mediums, including films, uh, more often than any book has ever been adapted. So we're pretty excited yeah. to talk about the various adaptations and what we found and some fun stuff about a Christmas Carol. Shout out to Joey Hutton for suggesting we do Christmas Carol specifically a Muppets Christmas Carol. I will give you the quick spoiler alert that you probably don't need, but we're going to be spoiling the entire plot of a Christmas Carol. So if you have somehow missed one of the uh, multiple hundreds of adaptations, I'm sorry, you are going to get it spoiled for you today. Uh, before we begin, we like to introduce ourselves and give you a little fun fact to get to know us better. Um, my name is Rebecca. I am the daughter slash sister of the family. And today's fun fact is what is your favorite Christmas carol? My favorite Christmas carol is, I believe, just called the Christmas song, but it's the chestnuts mm. roasting on an open fire. That is my favorite Christmas carol. Is that a carol? I don't know. I'm not being harsh about it. It's a great it. Christmas song. You're right. It's my favorite Christmas song, which is close enough. Well, I am Tim. I am the husband and dad of this wonderful crew. And I, I have two... One is my true favorite Christmas carol. The other is uh, an interesting Christmas song. I'm so ready. Um, <laughs> Silent Night is my favorite Christmas carol. It makes me cry every time I Aww. sing it, all the times I sing it. And on the opposite side of the scale, a song at Christmas time that always makes me laugh is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> That's really run the gamut there. Wow. <laughs> Hey, I'm Donna. I'm the wife slash mom of our group. And I tend, oh, this is hard. I mean, I have an answer, but I tend to be the, the Scrooge of the group, the <laughs> pre-ghost Scrooge. Um, I enjoy certain things about Christmas, but in general, the Christmas season is very um, un, uh, unenjoyable to me. Mostly because, all because of the commercialism that has occurred in the Western world. And I'm, so I, I want to find the good things here and enjoy and celebrate the good things as we talk about all this. So uh, the song that came to mind is a, a version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Casting Crowns. I Heard and the Bells on Christmas Day. Is that it? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the orchestration and the, the, the arrangement is a little dark. It still has an incredible message, but it plays to a very melodramatic theme the, it, it, the whole piece comes across that way. And I enjoy that. I am Josiah, the Christmas ogre <laughs> and also brother <laughs> and son of the group. I am going to have three quick ones. My true favorite Christmas carol is Oh Holy Night, a true classic, a beautiful one that tears me up every time. We love harmonizing to that as a family. Yes. Silent Night was is was one of those, but I went with Oh Holy Night. Okay, I also have like a favorite Christmas worship song. I think you guys know what it is. I, I forget what it's called, but it starts with. Yeah. Um, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. Yeah. It's the title of yeah. the Christmas song. Yeah. So I like that one. And then the funny one, I, I can't believe none of us mentioned how horrible last Christmas is. Oh, the oh. song's awful. The movie Your ruined my favorite. life. I didn't see the movie. That movie ruined Even my it life. Had the Mother it of Dragons the in it. Worst. I was, I was going to bring that up, but I've then seen the I decided movie, not to go negative. Like but I'm kind of glad you um, said it. I believe that I saw the movie while in West Virginia cleaning out your uh, brother's homes that had just the, my uncle Butch who had just passed away and it had been a really rough season. Like everything was very sad nice and I wanted a comedy. romantic comedy for Christmas. And I thought, Oh, that movie looks good. And so Josh and I went to see last Christmas and I have never been sadder than when I left that freaking oh theater. I was actually angry. I think I was angry more than sad. And so if you haven't seen a la- the last, or if you haven't seen the movie last Christmas that came out in 2019, don't see it. Boycott it forever. <laughs> Well, the story we're talking about today is actually one of the inspirations for many of the things that we now consider ubiquitous Christmas traditions. So, Mom, do you want to give us a quick summary of the plot of A Christmas Carol? Certainly. A Christmas Carol tells the tale of Ebenezer Scrooge, a stingy old man who changes his ways after being visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his ex-partner, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future. These encounters inspire Scrooge to embrace the Christmas spirit, becoming generous and benevolent. Wow. Wow. I thought it was kind of cool just to get a bit of context before we go into all of the adaptations about how this book kind of came to be. And I'll do a little nod. We can talk about it later, but a lot of this comes from the book, which is also adapted into film called the man who invented Christmas, which I think we can talk about a little later, but if you haven't seen that, it's a, it's a great watch to kind of see the context. And so one of the one, one of the things that mom's mentioned a few times that I love is that Dickens was particularly inspired to write a Christmas Carol when he visited field lane ragged school, which is one of the several establishments at the time for London's street children And that meant a lot to him. He was inspired by just a lot of dark things in his own past and what he was seeing. Yes. He wrote a Christmas Carol during a period following the industrial revolution when uh, the British and perhaps people around the world, uh, the British empire was very large at the time. were exploring and reevaluating the Christmas traditions that they had. Yeah. Um, Carol's, uh, newer customs such as cards. Uh, the, I think it was the King of England at the time 
though Christmas was a holiday um, as it is now, it was a much less important holiday and a much less celebrated holiday. Um, Easter was the religious holiday. Uh, and after a Christmas carol, Christmas became more and more important uh, in the minds of English speaking world. Yeah. As I was looking through this, I was curious because we ran into that um, being mentioned several times. And so I looked up what like traditionally what kind of changed. And after Christmas Carol, things like family gatherings were a lot more common. Generosity became like a major theme of Christmas, uh, Christmas feasting and like foods and the Christmas duck kind of idea came to be really popularized. People started decorating their homes for Christmas. So even a lot of the decorative traditions that we have now, like kind of saw that a Christmas Carol was the turning point to when this happened. Um, and also, I believe you mentioned the cards, so giving cards and gifts. Um, and then the singing of Christmas carols literally became more popularized. And I think the other one that is not necessarily something that is still as common today, but people for a long time would also begin telling ghost stories around Christmas. Mm. That, that spoke of the supernatural yeah. nature of Christmas. Yeah. Along with the other things that were going on in this time period that Rebecca had mentioned before, Dickens was very, very affected by the treatment of the poor and the ability of a selfish man to redeem himself by transforming into a more sympathetic character. And this becomes the, the great, possibly the greatest theme of the storyline. And in that time period, the poor and the children, not just adults, but I would assume the children probably tugged at him even more so to see them. And you have to think of the time of year it is and the weather's cold yeah. and Dickens was moved by these things. And I think, I think all this together brought us this, this classic that yeah. is, oh. is not surpassed. Well, and watching the film adaptations, I feel like that's so obvious when you see it's, Honestly, some of them get kind of dark at the beginning, like when you're seeing like yes. the what poverty looks like and what people are going through and still trying to hold it together and celebrate. He would actually spend the rest of his life trying to help the poor. Wow. And in many ways, he was very involved in uh, social change. Yeah. I mean, and I just directed his, I just directed Oliver on stage and almost every rehearsal where there was a big group number, I was like, okay, so... Cast dancers. The theme of this is you're poor and you're not treated well. <laughs> so make that come across on stage. It yes. was it somehow was, with your eyes. Yeah. Make sure they know that you're poor, but you're not doing well. So much of Charles Dickens was about serving the underserved, as yeah. we may say more frequently today. Hey, but let's go over some of the characters that exist through all these different adaptations. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just go through the list real quick. We have. A list, of, a list of the main characters here and which stave they are first mentioned in the staves in the book are the five parts of the original. Because novel. it is a carol. It is a novella, which is. But, but yeah. I mean, he thought of it as a carol. And it was stave a Christmas carol is, a, is the musical music. term. Yeah. So of course, you have Ebenezer Scrooge who transforms from a cold-hearted miser into a generous and warm-hearted man. And, of course, he first appears at the beginning of the story, stave one. You have Jacob Marley, who was his partner. The novel famously opens with, Marley was dead. Novel. So Jacob Marley, 
who is dead seven-ish years, whenever he appears in the first stave, Ebenezer Scrooge, he's a ghost bound in chains and cash boxes and introduces the idea that Scrooge will be met by the three spirits. He's kind of the host of the story in a lot of ways. A few, a few adaptations give him a little more significance than the original novel, but most of the adaptations keep him as the, he's essentially the herald that these spirits are coming. The three Christmas spirits are coming. Then in the living world, you have Bob Cratchit, Ebenezer Scrooge's employee. Not necessarily specifically described, though he is clothed in threadbare attire. He's overworked and overpaid. And at the end of the story, (laughs) yeah, at the (laughs) end of the story, Ebenezer Scrooge usually gives him a, a pay raise as well as other gifts. And Bob Cratchit, of course, also appears in stave one. Uh, Fred is Ebenezer Scrooge's nephew, not specifically described in appearance, but he's very cheerful. He's the son of Scrooge's sister, whose name is Fran or Bella? Fran? I think it's Fran. Yes, Scrooge's sister Fran had one child, Fred. Fran passed away. and In childbirth. In childbirth. And so Scrooge was asked to take care of Fred and... Whether or not he's done a good job, who knows? So he appears in stave one. So also in the living world, but you don't see him until stave three in the Ghost Christmas present, is Tiny Tim, who does not appear in the first two staves. He, he does not play a mandolin or whatever that play. little tiny guitar thing is. <laughs> he does not play a mandolin. Different Tiny Tim for a different generation <laughs> oh, of people. I do love Tiny Tim. <laughs> I'm so happy. I walk on a crotch. I don't know. <laughs> that is a different Tiny Tim. Correct. Tiny yes. Tim is a small, sickly boy with a crutch. Tiny Tim's health and fate concern Scrooge. And honestly, as an author, I can see Charles Dickens writing Tiny Tim, which to modern sensibilities would be really tugging at your heartstrings in a kind of cliche way. But in the 1800s, it was not so much a cliche to have sick child cliches had to have a beginning exactly (laughs) so they can be used a lot of times and become a cliche when scrooge is generally talking about the public before he ever sees tiny tim with with the ghost and as they travel through the present when he talks about the public and the poor he is completely unconcerned he doesn't care i give my tax money to Pub, the public hat, you know, mm-hmm. the public places. And the debtor's the prison. Debtor's yeah. prison, jail, prison. orphanage. But as soon as he sees Tim, his heart is is affected. He's warmed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's very interesting. That's a very interesting thing about humanity. If we keep everything in a very broad sense and say the poor... We may feel badly, but when we experience it either for either for ourselves or if we experience it through someone we encounter on a personal level, Mm -hmm. right, when it becomes a very personal thing, our emotions are are different. Right. And I thought that was interesting and really important that Dickens brought it in brought that in. That con that concept is is truly Part of part of the whole story, the poor as a thought should deal with themselves. A person who is poor that I know I am moved by. Yeah. And, you know, 
that's why the, I mean, story is a powerful medium for a reason. It's very difficult to be taken in by someone's plight unless there's a someone and a face to it. I was, uh, Josiah mentioned that Scrooge raises Cratchit's salary at the end. And you were just mentioning how he was so taken by tiny Tim and his struggle. And so I thought it was really charming in the last couple of pages, just a couple of paragraphs here. I wanted to read, uh, about how Scrooge kind of wraps his relationship up with Cratchit in the story. Uh, Bob comes in, he's late to work and he thinks that he's in trouble. And Scrooge says, a Merry Christmas, a merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. And we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking Bishop, Bob, make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to tiny Tim who did not die, he was a second father. Mm. He became as good a friend, as good a master and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city town or borough in the good old world. And I just thought that was really charming how, um, a page before that, he also decides to donate to the people who had been asking him to donate to the poor earlier because when he was like impacted by tiny Tim's story. He then wanted to become more involved in helping the poor on a broader scale. Well, before I get to the spirits, I just wanted to mention some of the minor characters. Of course you have Fezziwig in the past who was Scrooge's employer. You have Scrooge's friend, Dick Wilkins, who also worked for Fezziwig and you have bell who Scrooge was engaged to love interest. Yes. I think they were engaged and she broke it off. When he became more lustful for money than loving towards her. Because he had continued to put off their wedding until he could make more money and make more money and make more money. We did note that she, it was kind of a, in a lot of the adaptations, they either cut the sister or the love interest. Not all of them. Some of them have both of them. Some of them cut both even. And I'm so sad. Sorry. Earlier I said Fran. It's Fan. Fan. Fan was the sister. And about Belle. And the friend Dick Wilkins in a product in a play production that I've seen of Christmas Carol, Dick Wilkins was the one that ended up marrying Belle. Oh, and I, I didn't realize that that was an invention of the playwright. I don't think that's it's not in the novella. Yeah, I don't think it's in any of the major adaptations that I we saw. Of, I think one of the ghosts of Christmas present, I think, um, takes takes him to see her and her family. But I don't know that they mention who he is, who the father husband is and all the children gathered around to show him kind of what he had missed. I'm not sure that the name is mentioned, but it might it might be or that may have been just a just the author of the play. I think it was just the author of the play who can who made Dick Wilkins live on because in the in the novel, Dick Wilkins, I think Scrooge says to Christmas present like, oh, Dick. As if to say he died young or something, or, or it could be friendship lost, but it doesn't imply, oh, my friend married my lover. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't imply that. <laughs> but um, then you have the three ghosts, ghosts of Christmas past, who's often a combination of a child and an old man or an old woman with white hair and a light that shines from its head. It's often portrayed very ethereally, kind of angelically, sometimes cherub innocent like a cherub but also 
otherworldly and strange. I feel like somehow that is the character that in more adaptations than not, I found the portrayal like visually to be disturbing a little. Mm. Like you would think it's the future. the future one, but it felt like creepy a lot of the ways that they, yeah. you know, designed the character of Christmas past. And then the ghost of Christmas present, who is a big jolly giant in a green robe surrounded by a feast showing Scrooge the present day Christmas celebrations. I did happen to portray the ghost of Christmas present in 2019. So he's oh. probably the best character in the whole story. <laughs> Obviously. Now the, the uh, last ghost is the ghost of Christmas yet to come Christmas future. He, they're a silent shrouded figure resembling the grim reaper. And they show Scrooge a dismal future, including his and tiny Tim's deaths. And the ghost of Christmas had to come points and is silent. He doesn't speak. He just kind of gestures. So dad, you had decided on some of the more notable adaptations that we were going to go over. So can you tell us a little bit about how you decided? Cause there's so many, I really wanted us to do this. So I, I set about, uh, looking for lists. And I, I found a list that I, I had a tendency to, to agree with. I saw where it was going. Um, it's a top, it's a top 24 list from Collider mm-hmm. online and it's by David uh, Trumbor. And as I looked at the list, some of the, the very top versions, uh, 1951, he has as the number one version starring Alistair Sim as Scrooge. And the number two was the 1938 version starring Reginald Owen. Disagree. Pardon? Oh, you disagree with it. Well, he considers those the top two. uh, And then as I went down the list, actually, as you go up the list, he has it in reverse order. um, The Muppet Christmas Carol Mm -hmm. is uh, his number eight. I would probably put that higher. So those are actually the three that we watched um, pretty much all of them. And then we also, uh, we also watched a little bit of a, of a few others, a few minutes here and there of this one or that one found lots of different kinds of adaptations. And I'll put a link to that in the episode description as well. I was trying to look for the ones that were the most faithful to the original story, Mm -hmm. because in a lot of the adaptations, like we said before, they drop the sister or they, or they drop the love interest, or they may drop both of them. Um, in some of the adaptations, um, Marley is a lot larger part than mm-hmm. in the book. Um, it, it, and sometimes the ghosts don't, don't fulfill all of the things that they were talking about before. Don't talk about all the things that they do in the book. Um, we also uh, spent a little bit of time watching probably about 20 to 30 minutes of Rob 2009's uh, A Christmas Carol by Robert Zemeckis. The with one, Jim Carrey. Yes, with Jim Carrey, computer animated. Um, and as we were going through, I did have the family watch a few minutes of several. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we, we, I feel like several is not a big enough number. <laughs> we watched four and two halves of Christmas Carol adaptations in the course of about 12 hours. Can't believe we did that. As research. No. And, and, no. Then, and then that was two days ago. And then yesterday we watched like a few minutes of two other adaptations. Dad was like, oh, look, look this up on YouTube. And, uh, okay, look at this one. Oh, we look, should look probably, up, let's about this one. So suddenly... Dad says to me, he says, 
look up the stingiest man alive <laughs> on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. This is the day after we're watching all the adaptations. It's another Christmas Carol adaptation. It's an animated <laughs> musical. And we watch two musical numbers from the anime. Like, I, I cannot watch more than five minutes of another Christmas Carol yeah, adaptation. Yeah, we got a little, I think we got to a point where it was like a lot. And it was, it was fine. It's fine. I, you know, I love this research and it's also watching it with my family. So it's wonderful. <laughs> but there's other things that we can do for research and enjoying family together. It was funny. I, I enjoyed going through all of them, but I think by the time we got to the end, I was like, okay, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't know. It was interesting. I think one of the most interesting things we did find when we were watching though, uh, was the 1901, the original, mm. I believe it was the first survivor. It says it's the earliest surviving in our notes. I think it was the first film version of a Christmas Carol. So the information we saw from a few years ago said that there were only about four minutes of surviving footage. It's unclear why, but we were actually able to find a YouTube video that said that it was, um, as six and a half minutes. Like it was six and a half minutes long, which is about the length of the full thing. And so it had no sound, which I assume it was a silent film anyway. <laughs> yes, um, sil- sil- it would have been films silent. were silent through like 1927, 1928 which would yeah. accompanied by an, by an organ or piano. Yeah. So we didn't, theater, we didn't theater. have any, obviously they didn't overlay that, but it was actually really interesting to watch, um, just what they did with it. They even had some special effects that they had kind of used a black, pretty, pretty impressive sheet. for 1901. Yeah. They had Agreed. special effects with yeah. how that was the one where Jacob Marley is the only ghost. He shows him past, present and future. Right. And I, I was wondering because the opening of the movie was like two minutes until Jacob Marley shows up. I was like, how do they tell the whole story in six minutes? And then I was like, oh, because Jacob Marley's the only ghost and he shows him all of these flashbacks in his bedroom. I think the title of it is either Scrooge or Marley's Ghost. Yeah. So yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, in 1908, the next recorded Christmas Carol movie adaptation is a film with Thomas Ricketts as Scrooge and it is lost. I'll talk more about that later. Yeah. That's but I also wanted to mention that this is the only Scrooge because we we don't know how we don't know the age of 1901's Scrooge actor. Right. This is the only recorded Scrooge who was born before the Civil War. And I thought there would be more because Scrooge is old. So I thought old actors would play him. Right. And I was I was so excited to talk about how old these people were. But I have a fun fact later about how young these Scrooges were in the first era of Christmas Carol adaptations. But also we let's skip ahead to 1928. It was the first hockey adaptation. Oh. However, it is lost. Another lost one. Uh dad and I watched Doctor Who when I when I was younger. We watched the new series. We watched some of the older stuff too. And I was I'm so sad. In this it's from the sixties. So many full episodes of Doctor Who are just lost forever. Which oh, don't yeah, have there's, it. There's a whole large segment of TV time where they weren't recording anything or they didn't keep those recordings or yeah. they recorded. They over. didn't intend on yeah. re-airing them right. so, and they didn't, they didn't know that VHSs and DVDs would be a huge right. thing. So they just were like, eh, we're not going to re-air this. So we'll destroy it. So I keep up with lost media on YouTube. It's a yeah. very fun YouTube genre. I guess it's a little controversial whether the 1935 was the first talkie or the 1928, because both of them say the first talkie. I think I wrote that because it's the the 1935 is the first talkie that is 
that survives to this day. Okay. And that may Got be it. it. That's, that's number three on the list that I was reading. So he really likes wow. the 1935 version. The 1938 version um, is one of the ones that we watched. That's his number two. And the 51 version is his number one. I disagree with 1938. The 51, I thought, was a very good classic Christmas Carol. That's the one you got a lot more of George, his nephew. Right. There was a lot more story Fred? with him. Oh, or Fred. Fred. Oh, my Harry Potter fan. Fred and George. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting those mixed up. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> that's, <Keep> that. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where Fred has a larger, larger role, uh, and it's fun to watch. The 1938 one, I felt like there were so many unnecessary changes it didn't I seem agree. to save money for me, and they certainly didn't serve the plot and the the themes, in my opinion. Yeah, but there were just so many changes. It didn't seem to be very faithful to the original material, and that's that's something as we've gone through the different ones and watched clips of this and clips of that, where we found some of them are very faithful to the original, and some of them really take a lot of liberty. Yeah. Um, this old 1938 film, I did want to mention that not only are the Cratchits, the actors, actually married in real life. Well, they oh, were. Okay. They're dead now. <laughs> and their daughter played, I think, Martha or one of the Cratchit one of the kids. Daughters. And it was like the only film where all three of them starred in a movie all together, all mm-hmm. three of them. But Very the nice. couple, Emily and Bob Cratchit's actors, did star in other movies together later, which mm-hmm. I thought was cute. But also the actor who played Tiny Tim is still alive today as of this recording. He's 96. Wow. But the little Tiny Tim from 1938. Wow. That, that is really cool. That is something. There were also a lot of like uh, animated adaptations. And I mean, there's various types of adaptations of this across the across the board. We found, I think that the, the longest list we could find was that there were a hundred film specifically adaptations and it was not exhaustive. And so I think the, the number of adaptations exceeds a hundred and that's not including all of the other variations. And there was more than 12 animated versions. I think we found. Yeah. I think I found it. I think it was a list of 12 or 13 at the least. Um, it looks like if we, our list is accurate, the first animated adaptation was in 1971 and it was a hand-drawn adaptation, uh, starring Alastair Sim, right. Who had been in the 1951 version, uh, just called Scrooge. And that was, that was rated number four on the list you found as well. So it was also pretty highly, at least in that particular person's opinion, pretty highly acclaimed. There Um, are a couple of odd ones. Um, Ms. Scrooge starred Cicely Tyson in 1977. Um, And there's a Flintstones Christmas Carol and a Mickey's Christmas Carol and a Bugs Bunny Christmas Carol. There's a musical from 2004 starring Kelsey Grammer as Scrooge. Uh, We haven't watched that one. Mom, you noticed that there were a lot of musicals originally. Yeah, and I also see on the list we have, there is A Christmas Carol in 1999 starring Patrick Stewart. I'm surprised I haven't seen that. I love Patrick Stewart. We saw mm-hmm. one clip of it yesterday. You did? Okay. No. <laughs> and I remember seeing his face, but we didn't we didn't watch the whole uh the whole movie, but I'm not surprised to see how many how many famous actors played Scrooge. And I think we see that a lot across, you know, some of the the last three or four Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of stars that wanted to be, will be stormtroopers, will be something. Yeah. I just want to be um, part of the, yeah, the and, IP. And I, I want to be a part of that. 
it's this is a similar situation where I want to have this in my film repertoire. I want to play this character. Um, and so I thought I think that's pretty cool uh, to see some of the stars that have done Scrooge's character. I also wanted to mention just as a funny aside in the Muppet Christmas Carol, I was wow. so excited to see that Marley was played by the uh, heckler, the two heckler Hecklers. guys. Mar- and so the there was were a, an arrangement or a, a uh, an adaptation of the film where there were brother Marleys that, uh, that came Marley back to. Marley and Marley. Yes, it was fantastic. I Honestly, that was a Muppet Christmas awesome. Carol was like. It was amazing. Yeah. So faithful. It was I, fun to watch, yes. but also so faithful. It is one of my very favorite um Muppet movies as well as of the adaptations of Christmas Carol. And after I've watched the movie many times before I ever actually read the book. So I was really excited when we watched it recently that it is so faithful to the yeah. book. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's puppets in and live <laughs> actors, but it's so faithful to the original work and yet it's, funny and it's still Muppets and all of those kinds of things. I wanted to mention that in the mid nineties, we had our first two female portrayals Scrooge. We had a TV movie with Susan Lucci playing the first oh, Ebenezer Scrooge as soap opera fame. Yes. As Ooh, Elizabeth wow. Ebby Scrooge. She's the owner of a huge department store and the, the movie's called Ebby or Miracle at Christmas, Ebby's Story. And so it was a TV movie, you know, maybe not the highest quality, but we also have Ms. Scrooge in 1997, a TV movie starring Cicely Tyson as Ebonita Scrooge. That one was also a TV movie? It was also a TV movie. You had two female Scrooges on TV movies in the mid-90s. Have we had a female Scrooge in a theatrical release? I am looking. Looks like 2020s might be the only option, but that's not theatrical. That was YouTube. Yep. Interesting. So ultimately it looks like it's kind of not worked to adapt it and change maybe the gender of the character, at least so far. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I think you could easily do it. I think that. (laughs) I think that her name would be Karen. Oh no. (laughs) No, it's Karen's Christmas Carol. Yes. It's kind of amazing to me that, uh, Recently, since 2018, there's been at least one, if not two, adaptations every single year. Um, two in 18, I see two, nine, three in 19, uh, three in 2020, uh, one in uh, 22. Uh, the one in 22 is Spirited, which is actually one of the ones in 22, is Spirited, which is an ad- adaptation that really kind of goes in a different direction on the subject of spirited. <laughs> I'm sure I saw it last year. I'm sure. Cause TJ says we watched it and I believe him, <laughs> but sometimes if something doesn't initially grab me, I don't, I don't remember. I just kind of mm-hmm. put it out of my head and I do other things. So this year we were like, okay, I, I want to make sure I see it. I like Ryan Reynolds. I like Will Ferrell. So we watched it and I think we, so initially we watched it, I don't know, some that been very long ago, just in the last week or so. We, yeah, we've we watched did it just it. recently. Before we watched it, probably three weeks ago, as I've started in this journey of of Instagram reels, I came across this awesome reel of Ryan Reynolds and Phil, Will Ferrell. I heard it and I was like, 
Rebecca, oh my gosh, they're singing this little ditty, and Ryan Reynolds comes out, and I'm I'm hoping. And I just want to say, in the timeline of this, you didn't know that they were in that movie together when you and I were talking about it. Correct. We did. Yeah. Anyway, continue. They were there. This is the my favorite part. And I I saw it, and I was like, oh, we could recreate this for one of our episodes. We could do this, and so I wrote these lyrics, and. It's the lyrics. It's what you heard at the beginning of this episode. We get along. I'm like, Rebecca, I sent it to her. You've got to see this. Have you already seen it? And she said, oh, yeah. She goes, I bet that's why they were doing Spirited together because they're totally dressed in the costumes and everything. I said, I think that would be perfect for our Christmas Carol episode. And I said, (laughs) what are you talking about? And she goes, spirited the movie haven't you seen it and tj we're in our chat tj's like yes we watched it last year and like i said i didn't really remember it and i said uh is it like a uh, yeah it's a take on a christmas carol and i went (laughs) oh and then i realized when i went back and watched the stupid reel again i I didn't even catch that they were in period costumes. <laughs> I paid no attention to that at all because I don't observe anything. <laughs> and so I hope you enjoyed our little opening ditty because um, I was so inspired by it. And so uh, we worked it out and I, I think it turned out well. So I really liked that as kind of time goes on and you've got a lot of adaptations that already exist and a lot of them that are faithful and all of that. I feel like we've gotten a little more creative with some of these. So obviously a Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. It's differentiator is that it's Muppets and it really worked. Um, Scrooged is the 1988 version of this story featuring Bill Murray. Scrooged is a modern to, you know, 1988, uh, adaptation of the, the story where Bill Murray is like a crotchety old businessman, but he's, you know, living in 1988. And so it actually did pretty poorly. I believe at the box office, mom will be able to tell us more about that later, but I thought that was kind of fun, like taking it into the modern day. Um, you've also got uh, Spirited, which we mentioned that came out last year in 2022. Spoiler alert for Spirited, the movie. That one is probably the most different of the ones on our list because it is not the original story. It is a story about the ghost of Christmas present, who is Will Ferrell. He is actually Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge in that version died three and a half weeks after he was, you know, transformed by this whole experience and uh, worked as a ghost in the department that puts on these like redeeming uh, episodes. So they send the three ghosts every year. They they pick a, a person that can be redeemed or whatever. And so the plot of spirit is actually, you don't even find out that he's Scrooge, that Will Ferrell Scrooge to look further in, but Will Ferrell finds Ryan Reynolds, whose character is deemed unredeemable in the movie. So when Ryan Reynolds appears, he is an unredeemable character and Will Ferrell's character as the former Ebenezer He's afraid of retiring, which would allow him to live out the rest of his life on earth because he's afraid that he was the only other unredeemable that they'd gone through this process with. And he was afraid that he wasn't actually redeemed, that he was still kind of a, a bad person. And I think it's interesting because it, it goes to something we mentioned when we were talking about songbirds and snakes, where you kind of want to give the bad guy character a story arc or mm. an excuse or whatever, because in spirited Will Ferrell genuinely, like he says, that as Ebenezer Scrooge, he died a few weeks later. Right. 
And, um, wow. it's a, it's actually a pretty fun movie. Uh, they do a musical number called good afternoon that cracks me up and gets in my head. Um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a pretty good adaptation again, becoming different is really the only way at this point, in my opinion, that you can make a Christmas carol in a way people want to see it. And so one of the things we watched the other day when dad was walking us through them was like 15 minutes of a newer version. I think it was on prime Amazon prime video, uh, where these two sisters and their grandmother are telling the story. And so it kind of is them in the modern day or was it in the past? They 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 appear to be in Victorian time, but they're telling this story as if the grandmother heard it as a child. Yeah, that was an interesting one. If we had more time, if this hadn't been the seventh adaptation that we were looking at, <laughs> then we yeah. probably would have watched more because it was weird. And I mean, I like weird stuff. And it was weird in that as the characters were being acted out, you kind of are taken into this ethereal, kind of oddly lit area, and it's actually modern dance. Throughout the whole thing. And so the Scrooge character and all of them are kind of doing these dance numbers throughout. It's kind of eerie. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a happy go lucky. It was this eerie dance. And so I think it's interesting how they've continued to come up with ways to change the story. And I'll mention now, uh, dad, I think you're the only one of us that has read it, but the man who invented Christmas, like I said, has been adapted into its own movie. I originally had thought we could cover the man who invented Christmas and we probably will at some point because it was a really interesting story about how Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol, why he was inspired his struggles around it. There were a lot of like kind of different things going on during that time. Um, and so I think again, the story itself has kind of grown to something larger than just the story. Also the 2009 Robert Zemeckis, Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey in digital capture computer animation. I want to talk a little more about that because mm-hmm. I think that that is the, mo- I think that is the most modern example of a straight Christmas Carol adaptation that tried mm-hmm. to be very true to the original novella. And I think that similar to Polar Express, the animation was horrifying and I think it was a little better than Polar Express. Maybe. But it was still a little disturbing in a few different ways. The ghost of Christmas past was one of the it was the most disturbing Christmas past we'd ever seen. And I think that it's interesting that I I don't mean to step on other people's toes, but I think later we'll talk about how it's the highest grossing adaptation of all of them. The 09 Jim Carrey one. Can I just say, I did not realize that Robert Zemeckis had directed both of those. So I was reading this list and I was like, did you guys accidentally say that from the other episode? Because we just released uh, Polar Express last week. And I really was amazed that after Polar Express and the, honestly, the controversial feedback that Zemeckis got on the uncanny valley of the animation. Wolf. Beowulf was in between Polar Express and Christmas Carol. It was another semi-live action digital capture one that was weird that Zemeckis directed. Do we think that he just was determined it was going to, like, he wanted it to work? I think he wanted to be the pioneer of digi-capture. Wow. Yeah. So there were three, correct? Uh, Marjorie's Moms was what undid his (laughs) Imageworks studio. Did he do that that one as well? Yeah. He at least produced it. I think he directed it, though. Grabbed some some box office for more recent films, and I I, I wasn't going to try to get 
everyone that was up in, in Tim's list. I'm sorry, or... you didn't want to grab the box office numbers for over a hundred films. What's wrong with you? Are you <laughs> well, lazy? <laughs> interestingly enough, there surely were, the there listeners were two. would like to listen to all of that list. <laughs> there were a couple of, a couple of them that I had pulled out that, that I thought looked like they didn't do as well. They weren't as well received or whatever. Yeah. I couldn't find box office numbers on them. So, you know, it would have been probably been a little bit of a, of a, futile search to get really, really solid numbers. But I did find the 51, 1951 version, 1938 version. They don't have box office numbers yeah. for those. And I guess probably long enough ago that they just lost records. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was, I think the 1951 version, I found one website that said it made $24 <laughs> and I'm sure that's wrong. Yeah. That can't be right. Uh, right. I'm sure that's wrong. But a couple of things I did did note. As for the book release date, uh, I think we have mentioned it came out in 1843. It was uh, actually released to the public on December 19th. Oh wow, 1843. I didn't realize it was quite that close. Very close. He was he yes. was closer than he wanted to be, but he had problems. Yes, and by the end of 1844, so a year later, 13 editions had been released. Wow. The first edition, there there were a lot of things that went on in the in producing the book and publishing the book. Um, in the first edition, Dickens was very very particular about the way it was bound and about the pages and the way everything looked. He ended up really not making a lot of money from it um, from from his his initial release. So if I think it that had not had, been successful, it would have bankrupted him. Yeah. So, and, and despite that, he did not care. He spent a lot of money on publishing something that was not cheap. He spent extra money on correct binding and, and the type yes. of paper and, and the gilded, like, gilded edge yeah. of the pages. Yes. Crazy. And, and so to his credit, he was willing to put himself out there for something he, he believed in him. And, and maybe what we talked about before, uh, related uh, regarding the ways it touched him it touched his heart it it pulled at him to to see even in the mid 1800s how christmas was there and and this season that should have brought joy and we talk about it as if it's the most joyful time but just like today the poor exist the the there's poverty there's selfishness there are are other bad characteristics in the world that we have to deal with um, in in this season that for all intents and purposes is supposed to be universally joyful. And, and, <laughs> you know, if we look at, if you just look at the marketing of Christmas, um, it, it, it should just be happy for everyone, but we know that's not true. So he put himself out there and, and invested this money to do something and it did pay off, but you're right. At the beginning, it was not great for him. I think it's interesting that Charles Dickens was one of the first worldwide celebrities. Yes. The spread and reach of the British Empire at that time allowed him to get his novels to a wide audience. So from when he started publishing in 1837, 1838, he was already a super famous name. And and to think that a, one of our first worldwide celebrities was so close to bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> they hadn't figured out how to make a good living off of it yet, I guess. Well, he eventually would, would come to make more money from his projects. But up to that point, 
um, the publishers usually got the lion's share of the money, not yeah. the writer. And so that's why he self-published it. He was so picky about all of the parts of it. He wanted it to be something that families could put in a special place in the living room uh, and keep and pull down all every Christmas to read again. Super sweet. Yeah. And I had actually bought a, like we, I've talked about this before. I purchased physical copies of all the books and I bought a copy on Amazon. There's a multiple types. This is not like a, this is not a sales pitch. Um, but there's several <laughs> vendors that now offer a Christmas Carol in this really beautiful red bound edition with the gold gilded, um, titling and, and things on the front. And the version I have was also illustrated by Arthur Rackham in the, I believe it was around world War one. There's a little bit about it in the beginning of the book, but it's got these really cool full page and, uh, smaller illustrations throughout. And I think again, those kinds of things just speak to the fact that Dickens wasn't just trying to tell a story. He was trying to create an experience. Definitely. And that's, I mean, it, it comes true because his experience that he created has literally changed Christmas in a lot of ways. TJ mentioned that the Christmas Carol that Zemeckis was in Robert Zemeckis was involved with was the highest grossing one that I can find at 325 million. Um, there have been some others. Massive. I'll go in kind of year order from most current year that I have that I found back. Um, in 2022, there's a Christmas Carol that was produced and distributed in South Korea. I could find no pictures about it. (laughs) I could find no data on it, except that the movie made in South Korea, it was not a worldwide release, $171,000. Oh, goodness. So I thought that was interesting. Um, In 2020, A Christmas Carol, worldwide gross, $153,000. Wonder why. Um, That's the one that you were saying that just... Oh, it was the weird one? Um, is that right? Isn't that the one? Let me look up in. I was thinking because no one wanted to go to the theater in 2020. It featured Paul Tom. Uh, no, that's not right. 2020. It featured Jefferson Mays as Scrooge. That's true. 2020 was in the, in, uh, we were steeped in the the midst of Cobra. Cobra. Oh Lord. COVID. (laughs) Conspiracy theory alert. We're in Cobra. Cobra. Back in 2001. There was an animated version with a worldwide gross of $266,000. Again, pretty small. that's hard to believe in after the year 2000, a movie making less than half a million dollars yeah. or even, you know. Um, a Muppet Christmas Carol came out in 1992. It had a worldwide gross of $33 million, which I thought was Criminal. great. I wish it were more. It was much, we all agree it was much better than that number. What was but, its budget? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't go back. To yeah, let him Google that real quick. Cause I feel I like that helps. Look at that. Well, the budget was only 12 million. So it made more than double its money back. And I'm sure it made more on, on DVD and streaming, which is good to know. It really deserved it. <laughs> yeah. So I helped. Another thing about that, uh, that particular Christmas Carol, that was their first big effort after Jim Henson's death. And so to me being knowing Tim's been such a fan of the Muppets over the years, we were really glad that it, it did well. It was, it was good quality and it kept Jim's dream alive um, and, and kept things going for the, for the, for that company, that franchise, the 
book rating on Goodreads is a 4.07 out of 5, which I think is cool. It is yeah. a, it's a good read. I, I'm not to be cheesy there. <laughs> it's a good read. <laughs> I didn't mean it to come out that way. It's but, a good read. But it is an engaging story. It's not a long story to listen to an audiobook or to read the physical copy. Um, but it is, it is written well and it's engaging. And then the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes on Rotten Tomatoes that we found was, um, 13% and it was an adaptation that started Nick Cage, which I believe is in 2000, but old couple of nephew. Hmm. Um, and the and highest I personally love Nick Cage. I mean, sorry, he got 13%, <laughs> but I think he's amazing. And then the 1938 version has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's definitely had the full gambit for the, for the critics for sure. And I know a lot of like older movies don't have particularly accurate ratings, but this one actually does have quite a few critic reviews on it. The 38 version that got a hundred percent and it, you know, could be a hundred percent because it's a classic and that's possible. But there are, I think when we looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, they had a total of 80 adaptations in their list and almost none of them had any ratings. And so the 13% Nick Cage version and up to, you know, the hundred percent for the 38. I think out of 80, there were probably 12 or 13 that had some sort of rating. And most of them were like between 50 something and 80 something. Yeah. The theater that I do a lot of work at in the Nashville area where we did Christmas Carol in 2022 and 2019 and probably like 2014, maybe before that or something, something like that. But uh, we use different adaptations a lot of the time and we have a couple people at the theater involved with the theater who have done at, who have published adaptations. And I, I should, I should add some music and publish one myself actually, yeah. but at, at only six weeks after the novels, the novellas initial publication, Christmas Carol was adapted to the London stage by Edward Sterling. It was then transferred to New York's park theater. Charles, Stick- Charles Dickens w- went to see that one in London, and he was in favor of that. He was he was all part of that. And what year? But because the 44. year it was published, so in January, oh, February, okay, gotcha. after it was published. Um, but because of the lack of international copyright laws, it was published in the United States as well, and plays were written uh, in the United States, but he didn't get any anything from that. He actually he actually sued at one point and was yeah. one of the largest lawsuits of that type that actually began to change copyright law. That's a toughie. One of the things that Rebecca talked about brought to mind, actually, I thought I've had before when I was younger, I kind of I had the assumption or I'd made the assumption that A Christmas Carol was a Christian tale. Mm-hmm. But as we've read it and watched it and watched different iterations of it, it's not it's not a specifically Christian tale. It's not a specifically secular tale either. It's because the theme of Christianity in in caring caring for the poor and being benevolent to those who are, you know, unrepresented or overlooked mm-hmm. in society. Um, is is an important part of the Christian faith. But there is a lot of discussion, or there has been a lot of discussion among academics as to whether it's a secular or a Christian allegory. I think it's I think it was very smart of Dickens to do it the way he did because mm-hmm. he could have 
he could have written it from a fully Christian perspective, but he didn't make it in such a way that anyone from any faith or anywhere would read it and say, oh, well, you're bringing this into, you're bringing this into the story. Using Christian principles, making them more universal. Exactly. Making it a universal need or universal thing that all, all peoples can look at and embrace. I'm going to move to my obsessive reductionist statistics based mind and uh, point out something very silly that doesn't matter (laughs) that I clung on to because I'm obsessed with meaningless data from like 1910 to 1960. Almost all of the Scrooges were born between 1880 and 1900. That's a 50 year period of movies pulling from only a 20 year period of births of the actors playing Scrooge. And I think that that's mainly because we had much younger people in the early silent film era playing older people just with heavy makeup. And then we moved into the fifties and sixties, but they were still (laughs) born, you know, before 1900 for the most part. And then from 1970 to the present, the more traditional Scrooges who weren't like purposeful subversions of expectations, Mm -hmm. the more traditional Scrooges were almost exclusively born between 1930 and 1950. That is actually kind of wild. Another 50 year period where basically everyone who played a traditional Scrooge in a major project only pulled from a 20 year period of births. Um, I think, I think it's, it's crazy. I mean, one of the, one of the earliest ones in this era is when Henry Winkler who I believe was in his thirties played Scrooge might've been a TV movie, but he had white hair and I guess he was coming off of happy days fame. I don't know why on earth he would have done this movie. I need to research it more. Every actor wants to get away from his most famous and endearing role because he feels pigeonholed by it. And I think that's probably why he would have taken on that kind of project and especially let his hair go, go white I mean, he's he's been gray for a long time, but he had black hair during Happy Days, which was probably dyed for a lot of it. <laughs> a few things that I had picked out to share. One, the 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 actual formal title of the novella is A Christmas Carol in Prose Being a Ghost Story of Christmas. Which I found interesting and I wondered if he chose to shorten it. In that general period of time. Mm-hmm. Most works, published mm-hmm. works, had long titles that explained them. Um, it wasn't uh, too far from this uh, when Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of Species, but that was not the full title. Right. Um, right. It's it a half a page of, of additional right. title. Um, we just shorten it. And I think that's our tendency in modern times to shorten things. But... To think about him being true to himself uh, as far as the way his publications were put out, the way they looked, and, and all those things, we we assume he was a very particular man. Um, it's interesting to note, he had 12 children, and wow. um, in the world of novelist, just like it would be today, you can write a book, you could consider it the best of the best, a high quality story, just the way you wanted it to come out. But if the public chooses not to buy your merchandise or your books or your writings or your films or whatever they are, you don't make money off of them. And so I think it's interesting that 
the 1800s are no different than <laughs> modern day in that respect. That's one of the problems he had with, with publishers. He had some, some difficulty mm-hmm. with some publishers, which is why he published this one with a deal. He used a publisher, but he was the primary publisher and he used them as a printer because like for advertising, they, when you would advertise for the new book coming out, you would put it in one of the the daily or weekly magazines or newspapers of the era. And if you didn't get into those things, you didn't have any way to push your product, your book. Yep. One of the problems that Dickens had with publishers, he had he had required more of a part of a portion of the profits for one of his mm-hmm. works. And the publishers chose not to put the advertisement in the yep. in the magazine as a way to get back at him. You'll get more profit, but you won't sell you won't sell as many books. And he had a real problem with that. But they responded very well to all of his mm-hmm. Christmas novels. Uh, and A Christmas Carol is a huge was a huge success in his lifetime. And it was not only published those 13 times in just one year's time, it's been republished and republished and republished. It's the reason we say Merry Christmas. Wow. It is, isn't it? When I was reading, when we were watching one of the Christmas carols, I was reading IMDb trivia and one of them, I don't know why it was on this specific version, but it was talking about what humbug literally means is it's an accusation that you are being false. It's not like Scrooge saying, oh, that's nonsense. It's more like he's saying, you don't really feel Mary and I'm just calling you out on it. You're faking it and I'm calling you out on your crap, on your crud. Interesting. We shouldn't say crap. No, it's family friendly. I think that we have a lot of gratitude for the way that this story has impacted our view on the generosity and kindness of Christmas and what the spirit of Christmas really is. And, um, whether again, you see that as a spiritual thing or just a simply moral one, I'm really grateful for it. So as we wrap this up in that case, what would you say, obviously it's a little different doing a final verdict in this case, but what would you say is your final verdict? Did you enjoy the journey of reading the book more or of watching an adaptation or various adaptations? And then with that, what is your favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol? Well, Josiah thinks that listening to the book really puts into context the adaptations. As someone, I assume all of us are in the same boat, we have seen a lot of adaptations before we read the book. So reading the novella actually puts a lot of those adaptations into a new context. I thought the novella was a very interesting read for multiple reasons. Doing things that in modern times would be cliche if it was published today. But it was clearly the establishment of a lot of these tropes. Back then, it was a classic. It was relatively simple, but also simply genius in some ways and it just resonated with the people in such a special way it's obviously an icon but i will say the muppets christmas carol it's just so good Mm. it's probably my favorite i i did i did enjoy the the 1951 scrooge with alistair sim i think as far as classic traditional christmas carols go that was the best one but but a Muppet's Christmas Carol is so beautiful and faithful and reverential while being referential. 
I'll, I'll give the top marks to Muppets Christmas Carol. I enjoyed reading the book, listening to the book. Um, it was a shorter read than I've done recently other than Polar mm-hmm. Express. <laughs> so it wasn't uh, as long and, and drawn out and that's okay. It's still packed in an incredible story, a powerful story. I think that seeing so many different adaptations in this situation kind of took me back to preferring the book and preferring the original. I noticed with uh, several of the things we watched into the second option that we chose to watch and the third and the fourth, I saw that they were using exact lines straight from the book. And that's, that speaks so well to Dickens genius as a novelist that he would write something that could not just last over a, a decades of time, but over centuries as well as our language changes and our vernacular changes you can still use his sentences to describe and and fully understand what he's talking about. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And in, so in this case, I'm going to say I enjoyed reading the book. As far as a movie that we watched that I liked the best, um, more modern ones are all right. I did, of course, I love The Muppets, but I, I didn't want to just take that from everybody either. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say I would I would go back and watch the 51 again, um, but if I just had to pick one right off the top of my head, I personally had a little bit of trouble with the read through. And honestly, I think it was because for me, this is not an audiobook. Like I, I struggled to focus when I was trying to listen. And I found that when I sat down to read the physical book, it was actually a little easier. I get really caught up in old English, phrasing when I'm like listening to it, it's a lot harder for me to follow along. And I don't, I mean, I don't like things in that style. Anyway, this was literally written then. So, you know, it's obviously worthwhile. I would say in general, my experience with the movie was more positive. Movies was more positive just because it, I didn't have to take myself out of it to make sure I knew what was actually being said. Uh, that being said, the f- movies that I've liked the most that have impacted me about A Christmas Carol are the ones that aren't an exact faithful adaptation in the first place. So I think when it comes to the actual story, I really did enjoy reading the book. Like all of those, you know, caveats, I, I still enjoyed the story of it. Um, I did like a Muppets as well, but my favorite was really spirited. I've, Mm. I love musicals. So that was fun. I thought it was catchy. I loved the modernization and I love that it wasn't the same story, which I think, you know, when we're talking about adaptations, it's like, that's a complicated answer. I liked that it wasn't the same story. I also really liked watching the man who invented Christmas and like learning about him writing it. That for me was even more engaging than the story, a Christmas Carol. I think a Christmas Carol has just been done so many times that (laughs) it's a little harder to connect with because it doesn't feel novel, but I can agree with that as I preach the same general story every single December and, and Easter as well. So I can understand that, but I also think about what Dickens did. He wanted to make a Christmas Carol a book that people would listen would read with their family every year, yeah. despite the fact that he made more Christmas novels, he really wanted them to make it a tradition every year they would read this as a family. And some of the things that he received, some of the re, not reviews, but the letters he received from readers said, "You know, we've 
this has been a tradition in our family now for the last whatever number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just appreciate you doing this and, yeah. and all. So my final verdict, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to the book. Like I said, I had, I had not read the book before seeing a number of different adaptations. I mean, everybody pretty much knows the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the sure. three ghosts and, you know, and I've seen lots of adaptations of it, but it was really good to read the book to get all of the original. Uh, and I suppose for me, I'm a little different than, than Rebecca in that I really like the movies and the adaptations that stick to to the novel that stick to the original material. But my very, my very favorite is the Muppet Christmas Carol. And I Mm. was in charge of deciding what we were going to watch. (laughs) And so um, I wanted to watch that one because I think it has the feeling that the story has. Yeah. There's a lot of a feeling and emotion in that version. And I I think that that adaptation is my favorite adaptation. So I love the book. And The Muppet Christmas Carol is my favorite adaptation. Thanks for joining us as we continue this festive season. If you would leave us a five-star rating or review, it would be the best Christmas gift you could get us. If you've got questions about anything we've said, ideas for future episodes, or just any feedback, email us bookisbetterpod at gmail.com. Our last Christmas episode, Die Hard, drops a week from today on the 29th. And until then, Merry Christmas. I just wanted to say that um, I really appreciate us doing a Christmas Carol. It's it's a favorite story of mine, and and the Muppet Christmas Carol is very nostalgic for me. Mm. Uh, and I love sharing things like that with my family. So thank you. <laughs>